Welcome to the Three Creeks Church Podcast. We're a church in Gahanna, Ohio, that exists to help people find and follow God. We hope this message encourages you, challenges you, and helps you discover how much God really loves you. All right, well, good morning. My name is Joel. This is my fall, spring house shirt. Welcome to Three Creeks. I get to be the pastor here. Hey, before I get into today's message, I've got two exciting updates to give you, church family updates, if you will. The first one, uh, we've been talking for the last nine or ten months about something called The Well, and I wanted to give you the update that we actually made an offer on a building, and we didn't get it, so I'm a little disappointed, <laughs> but I do feel a little closer, and, uh, and it, was, it was exciting for our team to get even a few more ducks in a row for the right one. And, and while we were disappointed, I, we were just, you know, sharing with one another that, you know what, if this wasn't it, then God must have something even better for us very soon. So we're excited about that. If you're wondering, well, what is the well? What is this even, what is he talking about? Our vision as a church is to purchase a ministry center here in Gehenna. We feel like for the last five or six years, we've done a good job at showing Gehenna that we are here to help here to serve, and we believe taking this step and buying a building that we can do ministry out of during the week would communicate that we're here to stay. Last November, 68 families on Pledge Sunday made a pledge to give above and beyond uh, a three-year pledge what they were already giving to our church. That group of people pledged $676,000, and much of that has come in as we kind of approach the end of year one, uh, we're on pace, if you will, and people have been honoring their pledges. We also want to acknowledge that there's some folks in this room who perhaps at that time were unable to make that pledge or unable to step into that. We also know that there's a lot of new people that don't even know what the well is and you weren't there for that pledge Sunday. And we want to include you and invite you into this step that God is asking us to take as a church. So, With that in mind, on October 15th, that's a Sunday night. We don't have community groups meeting that week. Sunday night, October 15th, we're going to have the Well Vision Night plus Chili Cook-Off in my backyard. Morgan and I would love to have you over. We're going to set up a projector for the kids to get to watch a movie in the yard. The basement will turn into a nursery. And we're going to have a worship night, vision night, commitment night. And so if if you made a pledge, we want to invite you to come and pray and remember this commitment that we've made together. And if you haven't made a pledge, I want to invite you between now and then even to consider what part God may want you to play in this. Like I mentioned, we had $676,000 pledged. And our goal originally was to get closer to $1 million. That's really where we feel like we need to be to to get the best space for us And we're trusting that God, through our people, will provide that for us and we can take that step together. So that's coming up October 15th. I'm going to send you an email this week for a chance to register and say, click, yes, I will be bringing chili. Uh, Number two, a really exciting update, something that I've been praying for for years. So excited to get to share it with you. I get to introduce you right now to the newest member of the Three Creeks staff, a youth ministry resident. His name is Tommy Tutelo. Would you break, give it up for Tommy? I asked Tommy to wear the same shirt because 
I figured he would be a better model than me in enticing you to buy them. Hey, Tommy, uh, I met Tommy a while back. He worked at a camp called Beulah Beach, which is where I got to work for a while. My brother got to work there for a while. And uh, I didn't plan on sharing this, but I know somebody else that worked at Beulah Beach, somebody who I really trust and respect. And in the interview process with Tommy, I put my arm around this other individual and I looked up, Tommy was in front of us, and I said, hey, do you like that guy? And he said, oh yeah. I said, is he, is he the real deal? Like, do you trust him? Would you follow him? And he goes, oh yeah. He said, we just got back from the beach where a couple other staff members had asked Tommy to be the one to come and baptize them in front of the whole staff. And just that whole experience there, plus getting to interview him with a couple people here on our team, I, it just was so apparent to me that Tommy's life has been transformed by Jesus. And when I called to say, hey, will you do this? I said, dude, there, this is, there's no guarantee. Our church essentially doesn't have hardly any middle school or high school students, and that's the kind of group of people that we want you to focus on. And I, I said, I said, Tommy, this is risky, but will you go on a wild adventure with God with me? And he said, I want nothing more. Let's roll. So Tommy moved here a couple weeks ago, and he's just trying to get his feet under him. He's going to spend a lot of his time substitute teaching in Gehanna schools as a way to meet students. And I just, I can't wait for Three Creeks Youth to be a thriving ministry in our church. And there's two ways that perhaps you as a church can help Tommy get this thing off the ground. The first is that if you have any connections, if you know some students that might want to be interested in meeting Tommy or joining a Bible study with Tommy, he wants to know. If you want to be a volunteer, if you say, I want to work with students, what is Tommy up to? He wants to meet you. He also is going to be in the courtyard at the Three Creek Central tent after church, I hope. Can you be there? He'll be there. And, uh, and he would love to meet you and get to know you and hear uh, just ways that he can make his way into our community. He's new to Columbus. So the other way that you can help, he's new to Columbus, he's new to our church, we want to make him feel home. This is his cell phone number. I need everybody in here to pull out your phone right now. Whether you text him or not, pull your phone out. Here's the deal. We need to give this man some food, all right? We need to invite him over for dinner. He's not a big cheese guy, okay? He's, he's dairy sensitive, he told me. I don't know if he is or not, but he told me he didn't like cheese, okay? He likes breakfast food. And I want, I want Tommy to go back to his seat in about 45 seconds. And I want him to have 40 text messages or more of families in our church that say, we are excited about Tommy being here, taking a risk, going on an adventure with God. We want to see him feel home here. And so if you just send your name and, send, and just say, hey, we want to have you over for dinner. Tommy's going to have obviously 40 text messages or more to get back to. So it might not be till November, December, whatever. But we want him, we're going to see how organized you are with the Google Calendar and see if you can keep all this in order and go and eat breakfast food without cheese at all their houses, all right? <laughs> we want to make him feel like home. So if you would do that, send him a note, that would be awesome. I guess you could text him as well if you're interested in being a volunteer with Three Creeks Youth. So, hey, will you join me? I'm going to pray for Tommy, and I'm going to pray for the well, and then we'll get into today's message. Lord, I just praise you for this young man who your hand is all over him. I know that he's God's man for this time in this church for these students in this city. 
I pray as a church that we could rally around him to encourage him. I pray, God, that you would grant him favor in the schools with teachers and students, that there would be spaces to meet and students that are interested. And Lord God, I just pray for all the jellyfish that are in the gym right now, that as they grow up, that the foundation that Tommy lays in 2023, 2024 would be one that builds and builds and builds and is ready to receive and help these other kids that are growing up into this mature in their faith and ask really hard questions. We just, we ask your blessing on Tommy, on Three Creeks Youth, and what this could mean for our city. Lord, I pray for the well, and I pray for October 15, and I pray that for the folks who have made pledges that you would remind them this month that you were honored in that decision. And for those that didn't, Lord, we ask that you would stir in them the desire to be generous and to contribute to your work in this city. And we pray for a great night that night. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. One more time for Tommy Tutelo. All right. Here we go. New season, new series, conquest. Six weeks in the book of Joshua. It's one of my favorite books in the Bible. I think probably my favorite book in the Old Testament. I want you to try to picture this. Twelve men, revered, respected leaders. Twelve men. Each one of them from a different tribe of Israel. They were all there in Egypt. They were slaves. They were under the oppression of Pharaoh. Them and two million of their people were enslaved, but, but 12 men, they were there under the oppression of slavery. And Moses came and let them out. Pharaoh's heart finally, as hard as it was, broke, and he said, get out of here. I don't want to deal with this and what this is bringing me anymore. And so two million people go and they travel out of Egypt. This is in the book of Exodus. They travel out of Egypt and they come to the Red Sea in Exodus chapter 14. The Red Sea at its narrowest point was 12 miles wide. And at the point where the Israelites end up crossing the Red Sea, it was 230 feet deep. And so you can imagine the frustration or the despair when you finally get out of Egypt, but you go, where are we going to go now? And then the, the, what's in front of you is, is the 230 feet deep, 12 miles wide Red Sea. And there were 12 men that were there, respected leaders among the people that watched Moses lift up his staff and they watched the water part and they watched as all of their friends and family walked out on dry land across the Red Sea, keeping in mind that Pharaoh had changed his mind and had sent his army to come and chase them down. In the, in the face of unimaginable obstacles, God does a miracle and these 12 men... They were there, and they themselves walked across. They, the water stood up on the right, and the water stood up on the left, and they, they, they saw it with their own eyes. One year and 10 months later, 
after they walk across. One year and 10 months later, these 12 men, they're selected. Why are they selected? They're selected to be spies. The Israelites at that point are camping in a place called Kadesh Barnea. And they haven't arrived at this land that God has promised them yet. They're still on a journey to get there. But before they go there, Moses says, I'm going to send 12 spies. And so he appoints these 12 men to go and spy out the land of Canaan. And so they go in for 40 days undercover. And, and this is what Moses said to him. He says, see what the land is like and whether the people that live there are weak or they're strong, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or is it bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or are they fortified? Find out everything you can about Canaan. How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees in the land or not? Do your best to bring back some fruit of the land. So these 12 men did it. Apparently, none of them were caught because 40 days later, they all come back to Kadesh Barnea. And as you can imagine, there's a, there's a frenzy when they come back into camp. And the whole assembly, it says, gathered to hear the report. What was it like? What was the land like? What were the cities like? What were the people like? Can we, can we go and take this land? One of the guys, Shemua, came forward. And he says, no. These people, there's giants in this land. Another man named Shofat, his turn to speak. He goes, if we try this, we're going to be crushed by these people. Palti comes forward. He says, that we have no chance against the Canaanite. And number four and number five and number six, all the way to number 10, when it's their chance to speak, they say, we don't have a shot. These people are ginormous. All their cities are fortified. Yes, the land is great. Don't get me wrong. Canaan rocks, but there's no chance. We don't have what it takes but two people. Caleb and Joshua. They stand up and they say, now don't get us wrong. There are some big people. But don't you guys remember? We walked across the Red Sea on dry land. God can do this. We got this thing. Let's go for it. The Lord is with us. God will fight for us. And the people, rather than being inspired by their faith, are astonishingly faithless. And rather than turning and saying, yeah, you know what? Let's follow Joshua. Let's follow Caleb. Rather than doing that, they contemplate stoning them for their audacity and their boldness. They, they go with the 10. So God, in his righteous anger, because of their shocking faithlessness, says, I'm going to punish this. And so for every one day that you spied out Canaan, I'm going to make you wander in this desert for a year. And every person that is 20 years or older right now at this moment, you will not set foot in the land that I've promised your people. And it happens. And the Israelites wander for 40 years. Everybody who's 20 and older at that time dies, except two people, Joshua and Caleb. God's going to honor their faith and let them go in. And after 40 years, they come up 
to the Jordan River, which is the river that they need to cross to get into Canaan. And it is in that moment, after 40 years, that Moses, the leader the whole time, dies. He dies. And it's impossible to put into, it's impossible to put into words the impact, the influence of Moses. Deuteronomy 34, 10, 11, and 12 says, For no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deed that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. And now their Moses had died, their leader, their hero. And we get introduced once again to Joshua, who started out as a spy and then became Moses' aide, Moses' lieutenant, his right-hand man. And so right before Moses dies, he makes the people commit to follow Joshua. And that's the beginning of Joshua chapter 1. So for six weeks, we're going to make our way through the book of Joshua. Today, we're going to be in chapter 1. It's 18 verses long. I have four points to pick out to show you what God wants Joshua to know as he gets going. They're not, I'm not going to stay too long on any one of them. And at the end, I've got one big idea that's going to wrap it all up and set us up for the next five weeks. So if you have your Bibles, you could turn them on or turn in them to Joshua chapter 1. It's the sixth book of the Bible. Every part of the story that I just told so far is found in Genesis or Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, or Deuteronomy. And now we're going to get into Joshua chapter 1 verse 1. Here's the first five verses for us. And from it, we'll grab our first point. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant is dead. Now then you, Joshua, and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give them to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the West. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. If you're familiar with the Bible and if you're familiar with the first six books of the Bible specifically, you might know which land we're talking about. But just in case you're not, or in case you need a refresher, we're talking about the promised land of Israel. This land that's between the Jordan River and the Mediterranean Sea. It's where the nation of Israel is today, if you're looking at a map. 480 years before Moses died, God promised a man named Abram, whose name eventually changes to Abraham, to go to the land I will show you. That's what he says in Genesis chapter 12. He says, go to the land I will show you. I will give you the land and I will make your family a great nation so great that your descendants will be innumerable like sand on the seashores, like stars in the sky. You won't even be able to count them. And sure enough, Father Abraham had many, many sons and so many sons that there ends up being millions of these people. But these people end up enslaved in Egypt and then Moses let them out. We talked about this 
over the Red Sea into the desert. Well, now they're back. These people, the descendants of Abraham, are back on the cusp of taking this promise of God that was made 480 years earlier. What I want you to see is that the theological roots of Joshua chapter 1 are rooted all the way back 480 years earlier in Genesis chapter 12. We can see that there's a, a, a dynastic secession to this. That the promise of God did not just end with Abraham or with Isaac or with Jacob. It didn't end anywhere. In fact, it gets passed from Moses to Joshua too. He says, just like I promised Moses, I'm, 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 I'm honoring that promise to you. The point here is that Moses may die, but, the pro- but God's promises live on. And we can see here in this example that the faithfulness of God does not hinge on the achievements of men, however gifted they may be, and his promises do not evaporate in the face of funerals or rivers. This is why, well, I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to go there right now. You can imagine the dismay in Israel when Moses dies. I mean, I mean sure, they, they might have had some confidence in Joshua too, but, but Moses dies. They, they, they knew he would die at some point. It was predicted. It was expected. They were informed of it. But when it actually happens, and now the Jordan River is right in front of you, you can imagine the, the emotional turmoil going on. And God tells Joshua right out of the gate, do not forget what I said I would do. Do not forget what I said I would do. I, I told Moses that I'm telling you the same thing. I'm faithful, and I'm going to honor the promise that I made to Abraham 480 years ago. So first we see in Joshua 1, the command for Joshua to cling to the promises of God. And then look what comes next in verse 5. He says, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous, Joshua. Because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors I would give them. Verse 9, have I not commanded you, Joshua? I'm telling you, this isn't an option. This isn't a suggestion. I'm commanding you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And so not only does God remind Joshua of the promise of God, but also the promised presence of God. And you might be thinking to yourself, well, hey, wait a minute. Does this apply to me? Because I'm living in the 21st century. I'm a Gentile, and my name isn't Joshua. So does this apply to me? Can I apply this verse to my life? And the answer is a resounding yes. And here's why. Number one, this is not the only time that God says this to people in the Bible. He says it all the way through. And and specifically, when Jesus is with his disciples right before Jesus is going to die and then ascend to heaven. Jesus predicts, he goes, guys, I'm going to leave. And the disciples have a a little bit of a freak out moment. They start panicking. They're very afraid. And what does Jesus say to them in their moment of panic, in their moment of, of frustration? This is what he says. See if you can catch the same tone. Jesus says, I'm going to ask the Father, after I leave, he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth, 
The world cannot accept him because it either neither sees him or knows him. But you, disciples, Christians, you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. Listen to the words of Jesus, verse 18, John 14. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I will not abandon you. I will not forsake you. I will not forget you. I'm coming. This is for your good. You see, God is not asking or commanding Joshua to be courageous and strong because Joshua has what it takes. Joshua, rely on your military prowess and your skills and your experience. Come on, you're made for this. Be strong and courageous. It's not it. It's not his tone. He says, be strong and courageous. Why? Because the Lord your God goes with you wherever you go, period. The strength that Joshua is commanded to have is rooted in the presence of God that goes with him. And it's the same for us as we face whatever we're facing. You have the Holy Spirit. That is the, that is the, the source of strength and courage as we face what we're facing in life. Dale Davis, who's an expert on the person in the book of Joshua, I probably will quote him every week in this series, says there's nothing more essential for the people of God to hear than their God repeating to them amid all their changing circumstances, I will be with you. So God reminds Joshua of his promises, of his presence. And then verse 7, look at this. He says, be strong and very courageous, Joshua. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. So first, the promises of God. Second, the presence of God. Third, he highlights the importance, the crucialness of the word of God. Look what he tells them to do with the Word of God. The first thing he says is, he says to keep it on your lips. That means to say it. That means to sing it. That means to share it with people. And then he says, meditate on it. In other words, internalize it. Memorize it. Keep it inside. Let your mind be filled with the Word of God. And then third, he says, do everything written in it. Don't just be a hearer of the Word but be somebody that lives it out, that does what it says. A life pleasing to God. Listen to this. A life pleasing to God does not magically arise from a great yoga session or a great worship set or from reading a book about the latest strategy. Even a Christian book published by a Christian author. That's not, although those are great and they can be helpful, but a life pleasing to God doesn't arise from just that. It comes from the word that has already been spoken and from obedience to that word. So it it begs the question, a, a practical question, how important is this to you? If there was a camera on your life, 
No audio, so you're not allowed to claim that you like it. We're just going to watch. How important would someone say this is to you? And then maybe a couple follow-up questions is, is there enough time being spent in the Word that you could speak it? That you could meditate on it? That you do obey it? Whether this is a lifelong Christian or whether this is your first time checking things out, it's the same question. How important is this to you? Listen to some of these statistics about people who spend 15 minutes, four days a week, reading, studying, memorizing, internalizing the Bible. 15 minutes, four times a week. Loneliness drops 30%. Irritability drops 32%. Bitterness in relationship drops 40%. Alcoholism drops 57%. Feeling spiritually stagnant drops 60%. Viewing pornography drops 61%. Sharing your faith jumps 200%. Discipling others jumps 230%. Four days a week, 15 minutes. And then, I don't know if you're like me, sometimes I'm tempted to think, man, God, it just feels like sometimes you're out to get me. Impose rules on me. Make me do stuff. And it's, I just think God is baffled by that. He goes, can't you see that I'm trying to give you life and life to the full? Over and over in the Bible, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, It says that reading this and memorizing this and singing this and sharing this and muttering it as you drive down the road, that it brings life to the bones. And so really, I want you to understand, like, this isn't a rule. It's not a a Christian rule that you have to read it four times if you want to come to church next week. It's not how it works. There's grace in this space as we figure this out, but But it is an unbelievable privilege that God would give us this. That it's been preserved for thousands of years to give us this so that we might have life and life to the full. Spending time consistently, you guys know this, spending time consistently in the Bible doesn't guarantee that you will become the man or woman of God that God wants you to become. But equally on the other side, there is a guarantee that if we don't spend consistent time in God's Word, then we won't become the man or woman of God that God wants us to be. It's, it's the secret sauce, if you will, to spiritual maturity. So God reminds Joshua of the promises of God, the presence of God, the Word of God. And lastly, Verses 10 through 18, it's a little bit longer, but it's a, perhaps the least well-known part of this story. Check this out. So Joshua ordered the officers of the people, go through the camp and tell the people, get your provisions ready. Three days from now, you will cross the Jordan here to go in and take possession of the promised land your, the Lord your God is giving you for your own. But to the Rumanites, the Gadites, and half tribe of Manasseh, so that's two and a half of the 12 tribes, 
Joshua said, remember the command that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you after he said, the Lord your God will give you rest by giving you this land. Your wives, your children, and your livestock may stay in the land that Moses gave you east of the Jordan. So as it turns out, there's even some land on the east side of the Jordan where they are now that the Israelites are going to get to inhabit. But the Reubenites, the Gadites, and half the tribe of Manasseh, they're going to be the ones that get to go and stay there. And so the question becomes, are they going to cross the Jordan with everybody else, or can they just kind of lay down their roots and start growing crops? And can they just make this their land now? Is that okay? But Joshua says, your wives, your children, your livestock may stay. But all your fighting men, ready for battle, must cross over ahead of your fellow Israelites. Front of the line. You're to help them until the Lord gives them rest, as he's done for you. And so they too have taken possession of the land the Lord your God is giving them. After that, you may go back and occupy your own land, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you east of the Jordan toward the sunrise. And so they answer Joshua. Whatever you've commanded us, we will do. Wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we fully obeyed Moses, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your word and does not obey it, whatever you command them will be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. One more thing, Joshua. Don't just remember my promises my presence, my word, but remember the importance of the people of God. Being together on this, Joshua, it's going to matter. Relying on each other is going to be crucial to this mission. Praise God. Praise God that the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh didn't wake up and think, man, what's in this for me? What's in this for us? No. That's not what they were asking. They woke up and asked, how can I serve my people? How can I see outside of myself and see what is going to benefit the whole of the people that I belong to? So much so that they go out in front, they put their lives on the line, they leave their wives and their children and their livestock behind, and they go and they lead across the Jordan River into war with people in Canaan. They, they didn't go, what's in this for me? They, they said this, what's in this for everybody else? Who doesn't want to belong to a local church like that? A, a, a church that doesn't wake up thinking, man, how can I make this a great day for me, but considers the whole church that they belong to and, and looks to be a blessing. I mean, the, the easy way to look at this story and the easy way, to, the easy response to hearing that, oh man, being in a group matters, being in a community group matters, having relationships in the church, a church that can trust each other and rely on each other. If somebody's going through a hard time, a church that rallies around that person, the easy route is to, is to sit there and go, man, I wonder if this is going to work out for me. I wonder if people are going to take care of me. I wonder if I'm going to get invited. I wonder if I'm going to be cared for. I wonder if Three Creeks really is that way. That's the easy route, the better route. 
the Christ-like route, the walk in the way of love, others-oriented route, is not to sit there and say, is this going to happen for me? It's to look around and say, who can I encourage? Who can I compliment on the way out of church today? Who can I text this afternoon and say, it was so good to see you? Who can I pray with? Who, who can I look at? If our church was full of people that it was uncomfortable to see a brother or sister be discouraged or feel lonely. If we looked around and if you saw somebody lonely or you saw somebody being discouraged or heard about a discouraging set of circumstances, if our church was full of people that says, we're not okay with anybody in the church feeling lonely or discouraged, man, who doesn't want to be a part of a church like that? And God here thousands of years ago is saying, hey man, it's better together. It's better when you wake up and don't think about me, but you think about we and you walk in the way of love. So Joshua talks about the promises of God, the presence of God, the word of God, and the people of God. And here's how I want to wrap up today's message. This whole series is going to be all about God. And you might be thinking to yourself, wait a minute, this is church. Isn't that what it's always supposed to do? Well, yes, but a lot of times, and it's good, the, the messages or the series, depending on what part of the Bible we're going through, the intention is that we are supposed to kind of turn it on us and reflect on us and go, okay, where do I need to change in response to God? But, but the series kind of turns into a little bit more about us than it does about just God. And that's Okay. If you think about that whole series in Ephesians we did this year and the fruit of the Spirit, that was a lot about us and our response to God. Very practical, very applicable, very much a series that you walk away with some things to consider, some things to change. This series, all about God. I've been praying for our church that, this, that these six weeks, that our faith would grow because our view of God becomes more accurate and far bigger than it is right now. I've been praying that we would be gripped with the, with the greatness of God. That we would either rediscover or discover a wonder at the power and the greatness of God. Do you remember? Do you remember the first time that you heard some of these stories? I was a kid. Maybe you're hearing them for the first time now, or maybe you were a kid too, but I remember just being blown away. My kids are hearing these stories for the first time. They're hearing that Moses held up his staff and the water parted and they walked across and my kids are blown away. My son Judah, he's five. The other day, started talking about how nobody could beat up the Ninja Turtles. Beat up anybody. And Cooper said, except God. And I said, Amen. It's tr she, she is gripped by the greatness of God. It's not lost on her. She hasn't created a JV version of him yet. She's overwhelmed by the greatness of God, and she wants to love him and follow him. And I've been praying for our church that we too would be gripped by that. Let's not be like those 10 other people 
that literally walked across the Red Sea and saw God do amazing things and then got to the next obstacle and thought, I don't think he can do it. A year and 10 months later, I don't know. Let's not be like that. Let's be a group of people that can reflect on the greatness of God and go, man, he, he has made me promises that I can cling to. He is guaranteed that his presence goes with me. He has given me his word to give me life, and he has given me a people of God to journey with. And, and, and really, that's all I'm going to need to get to the end. God has given me everything that I need. And if our faith in God, you go, well, what about prayer? And what about confession of sin? And what about taking communion? All these other spiritual disciplines or things that we ought to do. Listen, if, if our faith in God grows, if our love for the greatness of God grows, rising tides raise, is that what it is? Rising tides raise, everything over here is going to follow this naturally. So we're just going to put God and his greatness and his power on display for six weeks and all of the obedient stuff, man, that's just going to follow because our love for God grows. I was praying for you yesterday, and I was praying about this series, and I'm a 90s Christian kid. I know I'm not the only one. This song popped into my head, and it goes, my God is so big, so strong and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. My God is so big, so strong, and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. And that's still true. And so I close by simply asking you, what does seem impossible right now? What obstacle are you facing right now? What are you tempted to believe is beyond his ability? What are you tempted to be, to, to, to doubt? What, in what area are you tempted to be like one of the other 10 spies that goes, nah, I don't think he's got it this time? Whether it's relationally or financially or spiritually or physically, what is it in your life that you're tempted to go, I don't think he can do it? Our God is so big and so strong and so mighty, and there's nothing our God cannot do. Let me pray for you. God, we want to be gripped by the greatness of God. We want to believe that you're huge. We will not be able to ever grasp it, but we want a little bit more. Father, would you bring to mind miracles in the past that you have done in our lives. Would you let those buoy our faith? Father, if there's somebody in here that's supposed to reach out and encourage another brother and sister in this room, would you give them the boldness and the intentionality to do it? Would you help us to be a healthy church thinks more about the other people than ourselves. Lord, we, we just, we want to know you more and we want to follow you closely. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Thanks for listening to the Three Creeks Church Podcast. To find out more about our church, to give online, or to attend a service, visit threecreekschurch.com. Thank you.